Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. When it comes to broadheads, I think that the first thing is you kind of got to start at the beginning. You know, your bow needs to be uh, tuned within spec. And what I mean by that is like, you know, you really, your rest needs to be at 13 sixteenths, shooting bullet holes. Um... What happens a lot of times is people will come in and have a bow that they say is tuned and it's shooting bullet holes, but at the end of the day, um, you look at the rest and it's pinned to you know either in towards the riser or all the way out towards the uh, like left hand side of the riser. Um, and while that may have pulled the tear out out of paper, you're actually getting pretty poor arrow flight uh, when it, especially. It, when you get past 40, 50 yards, you'll see that exaggerated. Uh, and then when you pull, put on a broadhead, you know, that big airfoil you're putting off the front of an arrow just right. steers out, you know, you might not even be hitting the target. Sure. Um, so, so I think that starting with a good, good bow tune, okay. uh, and making sure that that's, that set, that, that's kind of the initial thing because, you know, most people, if you're a right-handed person, you're going to see a planing of the arrow to the left from your field point. Okay. Um, if you're left-handed, it's typically going to be the opposite, at least in my experience. And so if you don't have that initial setup to where you're, you're able to have the arrow flying at a good position out of the bow, um, once those broadheads come on, you're going to be completely off target um and even if you there's somebody who just you know the day before uh season screws on broadheads um you know if you have good arrow flight uh with the right arrow initially you may be only planing four inches to the left you know five inches to the left uh so you're still going to hit the target um so uh, that's why I always start at that that place is making sure that you're getting good arrow flight out of the bow um, with field points. 
And and then there's, you know, fine tuning from there uh, once you put the broadheads on. As you can tell, we are talking bow tuning, broadhead tuning from that previous little clip. I just thought that really set the stage to what we're talking about in the rest of this interview, just to uh, look at the whole process. Because we, instead of just diving into one type of tuning, um, of broadhead tuning, we had to, you have to start from the beginning, just like what Cam said. So I think that's a, a great way to start. Uh, in this episode, we will continue down the road of looking at one way of tuning a bow. And it is that time of the year where broadhead should start to come on and we should be figuring out how those shoot because those are really what matters. It doesn't matter if we can shoot 12 rings all day long with our field points. That doesn't do any good uh, once we get in front of an animal. So this is an area that I definitely needed some help on. Personally, you can tell I'm I'm really trying to understand everything he is saying and trying to, to learn and take down some notes, which I did. So I encourage you to take some notes and get out and try to mess around with this on your bow uh, or go to a shop and see if they can help you out with that. So... Here we go with the rest of this interview with Cam from CNK Archery. Thanks for listening. All right, Cam, thanks for jumping on the podcast here. We are a month away, less than a month away to some archery seasons. If you're talking antelope, this is weeks away, but September elk is right around the corner and uh, if people aren't shooting, they're way behind the game, and they're not gonna they're not gonna perform like they want. But we are shooting, and we've got a lot of stuff going on with our bows. That uh, at this point in the season, or early, before the season, we need to get things even more dialed. And and I wanted to jump in and chat with with you about just some bow tuning and some of those things that just keep going over my head, even though I hear it over and over and over again. So thanks for jumping on a call with me this morning. And if you wouldn't mind, just introduce yourself and, and tell us a little bit about maybe your, your hunt background or archery background and so on. Yeah. Um, so, um, I'm the owner of a small archery shop in Frisco, Colorado. Uh, we kind of boast as being the highest uh, elevation bow shop, so we're located at about almost 9,100 feet. Um, going back to my background, I, uh, I'm originally from Alabama, but uh, when I was a kid, my parents moved us up to uh, Bethel, Alaska, where I got into uh, hunting and fishing and kind of enjoying the outdoors. Uh, moved away from Alaska, went to high school in Georgia. Uh, college in Vermont, uh, and then I was in the Marine Corps for six years. So in that time, I really specialized in um, um, anti-terrorism operations, but uh, specifically working um, in training uh, the use of machine guns to uh, mortars and pretty much a Marine Corps weapons tune uh, is what I, I ended up training and working with. So I learned a lot of skills about coaching the, uh, and shooting sports. But after I got out of the Marine Corps, um, tried getting back into some long-range shooting and some things that I had done with my father growing up, but really was looking for a different kind of uh, passion. And my wife and I kind of stumbled into archery. My wife wanted to get back into hunting. I kind of needed to get back into hunting and uh, just kind of fell in love with archery. 
so much that I barely pick up my, my guns, which used to be a large portion of my life, even from, you know, childhood. So that's, um, that's really interesting that you have such an extensive firearms and in the military background of, of beyond firearms, but, uh, that in, you went from that to archery, like almost exclusively where you're not picking up your guns near as much. Really interesting. Cause, cause it, when I chat with a lot of, a lot of military folks, they, it's, it's, they're specializing guns because of the training and all that. So I guess that speaks to not to divide the, the hunting world, but I think that speaks to the power of what archery is and what I look to share with people through my work and my podcast of that chat run around with a bow is just some there's something different about it and you're able to really learn a crap ton through what you're doing so um yeah and so with you and your wife got into it what uh where'd the hunting jump in with there jump into that so um at the time my my wife was really big into crossfit and she was really going down that paleo lifestyle and we were already you know, eating fairly lean in general, but, um, I had always talked about how much fun it was going hunting with my dad. And, um, at the time my dad was, you know, starting to get to the age where he just wasn't able to get out and, you know, and I had stopped hunting, um, you know, when I got into college in the Marine Corps and we really just kind of, uh, my wife was like, I'd like to try hunting. Um, and she grew up in a family that was, you know, very outdoorsy and, uh, just, I think it just kind of interested her. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm re- I'm at that point in my life where I'm ready to get back into it, which, you know, I'd say a lot of, you know, men and, and or, uh, people coming out of college who had, you know, touched hunting and fishing, you know, and that, that mid twenties tends to want to jump back in, uh, because there's, you know, whether you played sports or were in the military or there, you kind of got away from it. Um, and so the first year, um, we were living in Colorado, my, my wife and I went and redid the, uh, hunter safety. Cause I told her I'd take it again since I had taken it since I was probably like eight or nine in Alaska. Um, which I will say a uh, hot tip for everybody. If you haven't taken a hunter's education or you live in a different state, uh, to where you're wanting to get back into hunting, go retake hunter's education one especially like in states in the west where the the rules and regulations are completely different from most other states um and from state to state it's amazing for that but it's a great opportunity to meet uh local hunters uh and people who are also at the kind of same stage you are um maybe trying to get back into hunting i found it very beneficial especially going with my wife so i highly recommend if you haven't taken it in 20 years get back out there and take it again oh Um, i'll I'll second that i'm a i'm a hunter education instructor and one of those things that's on the test there that kind of makes you go huh of what is one of the for on our state test one of the questions is what what is the most uh, I can't even think of how it's worded, but what's the most, what, where are the most injuries caused? And it's swinging on game. And that would not be the same case in Colorado, I'm sure. But that's because South Dakota, it's a pheasant hunting state destination. So people, that's where they're coming to coming here to do. So you got large numbers of people swinging on game, swinging, and then all of a sudden, boom, uh, peppering or shooting 
nearby nearby hunters or the guys next to you so uh you wouldn't just echoing what you're saying there that by taking that again you're you're getting all that local knowledge of what the especially come from alabama up to colorado or wherever uh, it's different hunting Uh, there's different different safety things so yeah i haven't heard anybody say that and i like it yeah and in the southeast it's very similar turkey hunting is the number one cause of accidents so sure um for the same same reason yeah um just identifying target yeah Yeah. so um uh so i wanted to uh look at i just set my bow out just to look at it so as we talk i'm such a visual learner i gotta look at this and i have been shooting uh i got a four month old so my shooting is not what it's been in previous years and i'm not to not to give an excuse because there are no excuses but it's driving me nuts i have not shot as much as as normal but i'm shooting good um we've been putting on some 3d shoots here and and uh, i'm shooting good i like how i'm shooting uh, but I still have that in the back of my mind of not the confidence of ha- throwing on some broadheads yet and saying, yep, my first hunt of the year is a bear, archery bear. Uh, that bear is dead at 10 to 50, 60 yards, which I'm not going to have to shoot 50, 60 yards, I don't think. But um, I don't feel like I'm 100% tuned up, ready to roll. So uh, we were talking a little bit before just about kind of the philosophy of you're not just broadhead tuning it starts from the beginning uh but let's dive into that a little bit more now that everyone heard that beforehand just why why we uh uh start at the beginning uh where where is that beginning let's let's dive into it yeah so i mean at the end of the day uh perfect arrow flight is kind of what we're after whether we have um, you know, a broadhead or a field point on. What happens when we have a, f- a field point on versus what we what we have when we have a um, broadhead on is really, you know, the aerodynamics change. So you have a very slick down arrow, you know, that's steering perfectly because it's about as aerodynamic as you can get that arrow to be when you have that field point on. Once you go ahead and add that broadhead, you're going to start um, having a different uh, interaction, whether you're getting some drag or some lift uh, as a result of having an airfoil. Basically, you know, when I say the word airfoil, I want you to think about like an airplane. You know, the reason that an airplane flies is because you have drag and lift acting on the front of that wing. Um, So... When you add that wing, whether it's a two-blade, three-blade, or four-blade um, broadhead off the front of that, that arrow, you're, it's going to create drag or lift or a combination of, of the two uh, that uh, makes, your, makes it seem like your broadhead is planing differently. So what we need to do at the first part of, of this whole system of getting our broadheads to fly with our field points is to make sure that we have good aeroflight coming out of the bow um, with, um, you know, like a paper tear is usually how we do it, which is if you're not familiar with paper tuning, uh, essentially what we do is we set a bow 
to into spec, meaning that the brace height is correct, your poundage is correct, your can timing is correct, and then most importantly, your rest is at 13 sixteenths. Meaning most bows have a, uh, manufacturers have a spec, whether it's seven eighths or 13 sixteenths, uh, for the center of your uh, arrow to be going through the center of the riser. And that's usually going to either be seven eighths or 13 sixteenths on modern bows. Um, if we're talking recurves and we're talking about long bows, there's some other uh, things to, to account for as far as how you're setting those bows up. But we're just exclusively talking about compounds here since that's the, the bulk of hunters, you know, even though traditional archery is, is growing. So, so um, let's, let me ask a question quick. Um, sure. I, I've got a arrow on my bow. I'm looking at it 13 sixteenths from the riser, my arrow. Mm-hmm. Um, horizontally. So, uh, 13. So, and here's a. Here, here's an important thing too is depending on what manufacturer of bow, like I'll use Hoyt as an example. Hoyt has uh, historically had like a a rubberized uh, piece yep. that kind of fits into the shelf. You want to make sure you're going off the actual bare riser, okay. and then you're going to come come off to the center of the shaft. So when you're looking for that 13 sixteenths or seven eighths you're looking for uh, a measurement from the bear riser to the center of the shaft. Um, now, you can measure this, whether it's a six and a half millimeter, five millimeter, four millimeter arrow. But when you do have a thinner arrow, um, like a four millimeter, like an X-Impact or, you know, um, uh, that TKO, you're going to end up uh, be able to see that a little bit better. So, yeah. um, I'm just sitting, because it, it I'm, makes it that much more fine. All right, I'm sitting at five eights right now. Okay. So that's not even close to where you're saying. <laughs> Correct. So and you're inside. A, yeah. And it's yep. a four middle, four millimeter arrow. So I can, I can see that really easily. Mm-hmm. Where, what's my next step then? If I'm at five eights right now, and mm-hmm. all I did was was uh, put a put a tape or a ruler right on that that riser, not on the rubber because I have a Hoyt, um, and I'm at that five eights center of the shaft. So, so, so there's a couple things uh, with that depending on which model Hoyt you would have, but. Um, what I what I like to do from here would be to take that and put it at the um, 13 16th. And then I will go and shoot, I'll move the rest. In this case, it's going to have to move out. Um, and then I'm going to go shoot it through paper. Okay. Um, if you've been able to tune that uh, on the ends and had to push it inside to get a paper tear, you're probably going to be kicking, visualize this for a second. Um, you're probably having a uh, knock right tear uh, through paper. And to alleviate that, you had to move it in. Or hold on, am I making that? Or you were having a knock left tear and you had to move it in to get it to shoot a bullet hole, um, which would indicate a few things. 
Uh, one, we would probably, if it's uh, an older style uh, Hoyt uh, from over two years ago where it had a yoke system, we could manipulate the uh, yokes in order to uh, lean the cam over to the right direction, which would give you a uh, bullet hole at um, 13 sixteenths. If you had a, uh, the last two years of Hoyt, you know, when they changed uh, their, their cam cycle from having yokes to a non-yoke system, um, what you would end up having to do is have to shim the cams, um, which they, uh, Hoyt has a, uh, a shim kit where you first you would try flipping your two top shims uh, around to see if that alleviated or then you would be playing with different shim sizes to um, get it so that you're moving that cam over in a way that you would be able to get a, um, a shot through paper at 13 sixteenths. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Because that I was thinking, if I start moving that left or that that riser, or the, sorry, the rest out again, now mm-hmm. I'm like way off. <laughs> Where yeah, it's like oh crap, it's all over. Because this is a 2017 bow. I think next year is a year for a new bow. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, just looking at a few things, I almost look like I do have a little cam lean on my top cam so i'm just nervous of shoot i start diving into this and so so here's going to be the telltale sign since we're and this is how i work with a lot of customers you know i would rather have the time and and do it right uh because that's going to ultimately if i want to shoot broadheads for practice uh to 80 yards you know typically being inside two uh two eights uh it, it would be way out of uh, spec for me. Um, I know that once I start going past 60 yards, shooting broadheads, even if I was able to get them to somewhat tune out to 40 and 50, I know once I go to 60, I'm going to get really erratic air flight, uh, aero flight, um, at least from my experience. Sure. Some people may say that I can play with the rest enough. Um, but usually what we would end up doing in this situation is figure out how far that tear is uh, at 13 sixteenths. And then I would manipulate your yokes. And cam lean is not a bad thing. Extreme cam lean is. Um, so most bow companies are moving towards a system where you're actually shifting the cam, like it, like old going back more to an old school method where instead of you used to just play with a bunch of small little shims to move that cam on the axle left or right based on where that tear was. But Hoyt, Bowtech, uh, Elite, they all have different methods in which that you can manipulate the positioning of that cam along that axle. But prior to that, if you have a bow with a yoke system, then that's what that yoke system was there for. It was there to induce a certain amount of lean in the cam to offset the um, cables being pulled out of alignment uh, or out of the way. Like if you, you know, how your cables slide through. So it's there intentionally. Those yokes are there intentionally to be able to pull that can into alignment to account for them being pulled out with that uh, cable slide. So, so 
Now you can get too far uh, into twisting up a yoke uh, to induce too much uh, cam lean, and then your string will want to come off the cam. But within a small amount, um, there's the ability to manipulate that. If you tend to have too, uh, an extreme amount of cam lean, then you still have to go back and do it the old school way and shim the cam one direction. Because you shouldn't be inducing, putting more than a few twists uh, into either side of the um, um, yoke to be able to lean that cam. Um, so there's a bunch of like detailed things. As a general rule, especially when you look at like your pro level bows coming from all the major manufacturers that have made uh, uh, a yoke system style of uh, um, adjustments, um, you're you're still only adding like a few twists, maybe three or four here or there to pull pull a tear out. If you have to do more than that, then it's really about getting the bow in the press start shimming and start figuring out what that shim um needs to be okay. um, and a lot of a lot of manufacturers make it with with a lot of the bows over the past four or five years you've seen uh you know the simplification of being able to tune that i would say bowtech probably makes this the most simple way to do that um elite makes a really good one matthews has the top hat system um, you know, and uh, as of last year with Hoyt's uh, shim kit system, I mean, it, ta- it takes two seconds to, you know, pop an axle and shim those around. But if you do have bows that are a little over five years, six years old, you know, depending on the manufacturer, um, it can, you know, you can get into some, some different types of uh, shimming uh, kits, and that can be time consuming. Yeah. So it just depends on, you know, if you have something that's like really crazy, it's always good to, you know, go with either if you have a shop that's close to you that, that has the time to spend with you, um, go spend the time at that. Or if you have somebody who has a press at home who, who knows what they're doing, uh, being able to spend an hour and a half uh, shimming uh, a cam and having you shoot it um to check the paper tears you know is extremely valuable um so that's kind of what we do we're, we're i'm kind of detail oriented not that that fact so i spend a lot of time ensuring that the bows are are uh, starting out the gate shooting bullet holes um and are uh without just moving a rest way outside of that 1360s okay and i'm going to speak for a good chunk of our listeners that we hunt but the Botech stuff, it's almost like uh, it's almost like diving into like the engine of a car. I feel really fine doing my brakes, major fluids, all of that. The um, you know, I'll even I'll even dive a little further in there and do do things that take a few hours. But there's a point where I say no, I need professional help on this. I want to, I want to have, have someone look at this with me. Cause otherwise I feel like I'm going to mess it up even worse. Or, uh, say you like on this, I know I've got a certain clamp on the, on the press that has to be used. If I don't, I don't, I don't want to screw my bow, um, yeah. and make things worse. So, um, just to simplify 
so far we're just looking to, to punch a hole through a piece of paper and we started with that 13 16 get that rest out shoot it through paper see where it's tearing and then um make those adjustments those adjustments being whether the cam or the shims are messing with that cam but me at home just what is review real quick what is that one step i can do to adjust that to straighten that out to simply without having to go to my shop because i was in their shop the other day and he is actually it's really funny i ran into david blayton there and from realtree and i i walk in I was like hey holy smokes hey nice to meet you big fan of what of your your work and and been watching you since i was a little kid and he said yeah i come all the way up here from georgia just to have this guy work on my bow i was like holy smokes <laughs> this, i knew our bow shop was good but Man, that's awesome. He comes all the way up here to, to have uh, have our local guy do it. And so uh, he's busy. And I know a lot of bow shops are. So what what is that after we shoot through paper, we see our tear? Um, what's a, a simple thing we can do to straighten that out? So um, I wouldn't say that there's a ton of simple things, but this is, this is what I, I would do. If I didn't have access to a shop, you know, and all I had to do was be able to play with my rest and my sight. Um, because to be honest with you, the, 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 you know, before we had a shop here, I was like kind of random guy that people would call and be like, Hey, uh, I heard you worked on bows. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, the thing that I would say is if you haven't looked up walk back tuning, um, that can alleviate a lot of the issues. Um, but um, what I like to do, so walk-back tuning gets to the same end goal as uh, broadhead tuning, okay? So if you've got some time before you put broadheads on, um, I would recommend, and you don't have somebody around, uh, do a walk-back tune. Um, essentially what that is is where I start, I put a, uh, a T on a target, and I'm going to shoot close. I usually start about 10 yards and then walk back all the way to 40 yards. But I'm essentially what I'm doing is I'm shooting, uh, if you can think about a T, a uh, lowercase T, that's basically making a crosshair on your target. Um, I'm going to walk back and I'm going to shoot a three-round group at the center of that T. Now I'm going to do that at 10, 20, 30 and 40 yards. This is the way I like to do it. Um, and what I'll do is uh, all I'm doing is I'm looking for that group. If it's hitting in the center mm -hmm. of the, the T as I'm walking back, I might need to make some manipulations to um, my uh, rest and my sight. Uh, so essentially what it looks like is I'm um, if I'm hitting uh, left, uh, if that three round group is uh, naturally hitting to the left of the um, T, I need to move my rest to the left if I'm a right handed shooter. If I'm uh, if that three round group is hitting to the right, I need to move my rest to the right or to the inside of the, the riser. Uh, is that making sense so far? Yeah. Yep. I'm with you. Here's the place where most people mess this up. 
is they just move their rest. Anytime I move my rest right, left, up, down, you know, I'm manipulating that arrow flight. And then I need to go back and sight in. Okay. So at this point, I'm going to make the first step is if I'm hitting like left, I'm going to move my rest to the left. Okay. This would be the same thing as if I'm trying to clear up a, a tear out of a, a paper tear. Like, uh, like a knock right paper tear. I'm going to move my rest to the left. Um, so it's the same exact thing, but if I don't have access to a paper tuner uh, or if I don't have, if I'm not exactly sure, I'm basically going to go move that rest and then I have to move my sight because now my windage has changed. Okay. Yep. So it always goes uh, at each yardage 10, 20, 30, 40. Uh, it's always going to be rest site, rest site, meaning I'm going to move my rest first and then I'm going to move my site. And then I'm going to go to the next yardage and I'm going to do the same thing. As I get further and further out in those yardages, I will end up having um, a, um, a greater exaggeration of what's going on in my bow. Um, so I usually do a walk back tune to 40. And then I'll go back and I'll do the exact same process, but now I'm doing it with broadheads. So I'll shoot the broadhead first, and then I'll shoot the field point. And then I'm going to be able to look at the distance between the two. Um, and here's one of the biggest misconceptions with getting your field points to shoot with your broadheads is if my average group size is one inch, the best I can expect my broadheads to hit with my field points is one inch. If I'm a guy who shoots a softball at 20 yards, I can't expect my broadheads to shoot better than I'm currently shooting. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'll use this as an example. I do this process out to 80 yards, okay, with broadheads. My best groups are within about a baseball size to a softball on average at 80 yards some days i can get better but on average i'm only shooting at 80 yards within a softball um on my on my day-to-day -day shooting you know some days i get them within quarters but that's that's an anomaly outside of everything so my goal for shooting broadheads with my field points at 80 yards is within a softball um so that's one of the big caveats. It's like you're not going to just lay them in on top of each other if you don't do that every day. Sure. Um, so going back, what I'll do is I'll, I'll replicate the same thing. I'll walk back out to 20. I'll start at 20 yards. I'll shoot my broadhead, then my field point. Um, and like I said, typically a right-handed shooter will have an, uh, their, their uh, broadhead will plane to the left. As a, as a general rule, this isn't always the case, but more times than not, that tends to be the case. Uh, sometimes it might be a little high, might, might be a little low, but we want to alleviate the windage part first. Because yeah. um, I find if I alleviate the windage, most of the time, that the elevation comes in pretty close. Um, so, um, and, and then I think about it the same way. If my broadhead is hitting left, typically I want to bump my rest to the left. If my broadhead is hitting right, I want to bump it to the right. Um, now, the important thing here is I want to keep close to that center shot of 13 16s, okay, uh, when I'm doing this. 
So I'm only wanting, once I have broadheads on and I've walked back to, I'm only wanting to do this like a 32nd of a move or a 64, something super small. If I'm going a full eighth out, understand that there's something else going on with either the stiffness of your arrow uh, or the actual baseline tune of the bow. Um, if I'm having to move my rest more than an eight outside of center shot, then there's probably something else going on there uh, that you're going to see as you exaggerate that that uh, distance. So again, if I have a broadhead hitting uh, to the left and I have uh, of my field point, then I'm going to move my rest to the left, you know, like a thirty second. Then I'm going to mm-hmm. go back to tw- 20 yards and I'm going to recite in my windage because my windage will be off. It might only be a small change, but I'm probably going to have to move my sight just a little bit. Um, and this is, again, where, uh, you know, why do I spend the extra 30 or $40 on a, a micro-adjust rest? Um, this is where it comes in. I can make one small little click versus having to just tap it in the lines yeah. um, on a rest. Um, and that's why a lot of people, that's why you see people spending an extra 30 or 40 bucks because that rest will make it easier when it comes to broadhead to you. Um, and then I replicate the same process it, it, usually two to three times at 20 yards where, um, I'm making small adjustments to my rest in my site. And this is where people always uh, forget is they'll just make manipulations to the rest and not go back to the site each time. Hmm. Um, there's there's a direct uh, relationship between those that needs to be accounted for for when you're shooting those. And then uh, once at 20 yards, I'm in my my average group size. Let's call it you know one inch group size. Um, I'm going to just walk all the way back to my max effective range. For me, the max effective for shooting on an animal is 60, uh, but I practice a little bit further uh, with broadheads so that that 60 feels a little bit more like a chip shot. Yeah. So, so I I will always uh, broadhead tune to 60, and then I'll I'll check my my dope at 80 with them. Um, so I'll do that. I'll replicate the same thing. I'll shoot my broadhead and then my field point, and I'll look at that distance. If I'm shooting at 60 and I'm within, you know, a, a three-inch group uh, at 60 with broadheads and field points, I feel like I'm um, um, I'm in the right right realm for what how I shoot. Um, and again, that's where this like this is where that thing you can't just drop your bow off and have um, you know one of the shop guys broadhead tune your bow. Your input plays a lot, uh, a big factor into how well that arrow flight is going to be um, at greater distances. So, um, following those steps by broadhead, field point, adjust your rest based on the data that you get, uh, recite in on your um, site with your field points, and replicate that process a few times. Just understand that if you've had to do this, more than six times at 20 and then you go out to like 60 and you're barely hitting there's some other underlying issues typically either arrow stiffness or um there's just a you know you don't have proper arrow flight um but by doing the process of uh walk back tuning and then broadhead tuning in this manner you're going to get the best possible arrow flight that you can get 
uh, without having to dig into the bow, whether it's can, uh, shimming a cam, uh, adjusting um, your yokes, uh, etc. Got it. Okay, so let's just review this, break it down exactly what, and correct me where I get this wrong. So get my center shot, which is 13 sixteenths uh, from the riser, shoot through some paper, uh, see if I can make those adjustments with my uh, rest. But if I have to go to cams to make those adjustments, that's where I can get some professional help to do that. If not, then I'm going to go to some walk back tuning. So, which is effect- effectively our, our broadhead tuning. So shooting, put in the T on the target, shoot three round group at the center of that T move the rest. Um, but then go to the site. If I am hitting left of the T move my rest to the left. Um, and then, uh, incorporate my site to that as well. Recite in. Then I keep doing that from 10 to 40 yards, um, going back and forth, moving the rest, moving the site, and then do this all over again with broadheads, broadhead Mm -hmm. field point, hitting left with the hitting left of where the T is, I suppose right or hitting left of where my field point goes i suppose my field point is so when you're you shoot a broadhead but then you shoot a field point that field point and the broadhead should hopefully be in that one inch or that softball size group depending on the distance correct yeah i mean correct if if things are are shooting true and you've got a nice bullet hole front through the paper um effectively those those should be lining up your broadhead and your field point getting pretty close together. Uh, so yeah, I'm hitting left, um, move my rest left and then do that same thing with my, uh, sight, except just for the sake of, uh, saying it when we are, uh, shooting left, our sight needs to also move left correct uh yes okay. yeah i mean i always gotta the end, i know we gotta chase the arrow move the shooting left shooting left move sight left it, it's it's also going to depend on how great and large these issues are because for instance you're you may have sighted in because you're getting improper arrow flight and it's going way left and I'm mm-hmm. trying to adjust that the point of that the point of the impact to come in to the right. So especially when we're talking about broadheads, you know, if I'm adjusting my everything, sometimes yes, I'm moving it left. But if I've got a huge, if I've got like a two inch tear out of paper, and I was and I was sighted in off of that, once I make the adjustment to bring that tear back in, I may actually have to be moving the arrow to the right. It's just going to depend on you know the extremes. But as a general rule, you know that's when I'm that's when you're really having to play play with. Uh, a lot of the adjustments. Um, w- what I usually tell most people when they're starting out, if you were to look down the string and, uh, and line that string up to go through the center of your riser, most of the time the pins will be just slightly visually to the left of your string. 
Um, so again, not every bow is perfect and not every shooter is perfect. So there's, there's changes, but, um, if I'm making that, if I've got an arrow going way, if I've had an arrow going way left, and this is more like in the walk back tuning and I'm, I'm adjusting that rest to get it to come to adjust for, uh, the point of impact. Um, off of that T. Sometimes I'm actually having to move my rest back or my sight back in to get that that better alignment because I've adjusted how far out the uh, the tear may have or the way that the the arrow is flying. So the rule of thumb is just follow your arrow, and so that's why I always tell people to shoot a three round group at 20 with field points to recite back in. And the reason I say that is a lot of people will just immediately go, oh, I bought my rest to the left. I'm just going to bump my sight to the rest, to the left without resetting in. And then that's going to throw off the whole uh, process that we're trying to align both of them. Okay. Um, so while there's, there, there's a typical answer, yes, I need to move my sight to the left. Just because that's the typical answer doesn't mean it's going to hold true 100% of the time. So I always just go back out there and shoot and shoot that three round group and just follow the arrows um and you'll end up making uh less mistakes and you'll you won't get yourself too wound up by making a mistake at a certain okay. level so, so um i'm curious to know as you're talking about making micro adjustments uh, on most or all sites let's say because i i have a micro adjust site but not a micro adjust rest is there because i always need to like turn it a bunch of like which direction am i going is there a righty tighty and it, it let's say for a right-handed bow if i'm turning that right does that suck my sight in so it's moving it right or is, is there a, a thing like that that i can just recall or to be honest, I mess that up all the time. If if I, I if I were to, I think if you turn it left, it moves it left, and if you turn it right, it moves it right. I think that may be the case, but I'm not sure if that's that's a standard operating procedure for sure. for every boat company. I'm pretty sure that's the way it works on Black Gold, um, and I want to say that's the way it works on Spot Hog too, but. Um, Again, I, I couldn't tell you if that's a, a true thing. I, I jack that up all the time. Yeah. So I I always reference whatever number. Uh, and, and this this especially goes if you're making rest adjustments. Um, I like to personally keep a pencil uh, with me, uh, just an old school yellow number two pencil, and then I will mark the number that I'm at. Uh, on my uh, rest and my sights when I'm making all of these small adjustments because I can't tell you how many times I've gone to tap a rest just a little bit to get it over like a you know a 64th to get that perfect number and then I tap it so hard and it slides and I, I'm starting over from scratch again. Right. Um, so I, my, my thing is just keep a little number two pencil and I mark those things and I just kind of I can just wipe it off with my finger or the eraser on it and then I, I, I have a starting point for when when I make that mistake because even though I know that I don't need to make that mistake I still make that mistake all the time sure here's my uh 
my my concern and why I've been asking you these questions is because because mm-hmm. um, I'm shooting great. Like, yeah, let's go for it. I'm good to go. I'll, I'll, I, but again, like I said, I'm not confident with throwing some broadheads on there. And it is what happened last year with my elk. Uh, I had a perfectly broadside shot at 40 yards on a little bull. And uh, my placement on it was maybe four inches back, five inches at the most. So, but still lung and it hit lung and then, uh, jutted backwards to the right, like hard. So the exit was out the hind quarter and I've been trying to figure out what the heck happened because it was perfectly broadside. I don't understand what happened to that arrow. So I'm curious as to know, and I know there was no branches that I hit to kick that, fishtail the knocks left knock left um but i'm wondering if maybe my arrow flight in uh in addition to glancing off a rib uh did that because it was one lung and and the liver is what ultimately killed him but he i thought it was such a great shot i bumped him because i it was a great shot i i could see it and i saw blood and followed it and bumped him so it kind of long story short um i was able to to look at that elk and see where that exited and saw great shot but the exit was horrible so that's why i'm concerned of i don't want that to happen again that my broadhead flight is maybe things aren't flying out appropriately and if i'm at five eighths center not center (laughs) five eighths uh from the riser instead of 13 sixteenths maybe that's where my issue is and i'm not punching holes like i thought it was and i have paper tuned in the past uh so maybe it's something i gotta do again yeah well and so so there's a couple things in that uh you know i think the chances are pretty good that based on what you're saying that that you definitely probably had a rib <laughs> because if you get because you and how far out was the shot 40 40 yeah i mean so a lot of things get masked uh, when you're just shooting field points. You know, arrow flight can look good because the rest is supporting the arrow as it's coming off the string uh, in a way that, you know, makes the arrow look like it's good. So could there be some poor arrow flight? I'm probably going to guess yes. Can you mask that by doing some of these things and making so that it's good? And, and are especially older bows, I'm talking like 25, 30 year old bows, you know, are they the exact same as a modern bow today? Um, you know, and where you would do more manipulation with the rest? Yeah. Um, tolerances nowadays are much, much higher. Um, that's why you see greater resilience to dry fires as well. Uh, but, you know, that's why. It's, not moving out of that center shot makes the best um, choice to get the best arrow flight. Um, so could you have some poor arrow flight? Uh, I would guess you would see exa- great exaggerations past 60, and that would be a good telltale sign. Um, but, you know, on the animal, your bow is probably shooting – fine for 40 and in shots um and that's where a lot of people you know get into this you know i'm just gonna bolt on some expandables and go out and shoot and they fly like a field tip uh and i'm gonna they're they're gonna hit where i want to um 
you know, I don't ever find that to be the, the case. Yeah. Um, and maybe yeah. that's just because, you know, I'm not the best, you know, archer and hunter in the world, but I'm pretty, pretty decent. Um, you know, I'm at least, you know, above average. And um, what it comes down to me is it's forgiveness in the shot. You know, I can manipulate rests. I can manipulate arrows in order to get flight to happen. However, it's not forgiving when I make a slightly poor shot. If I get a little twitterpated, you know, on a, on a big animal or an animal in general, um, you know, the better the arrow flight is, the better tension I put into my shot. Those things create forgiveness. And I describe forgiveness as the arrow going where I want it to go, even when I'm not making a good shot. And so when I do have these situations where like in the case of your bow, where it's two eights out of center shot, you've probably been able to get it to a point where it shoots well. Uh, but um, it doesn't have forgiveness in the system, meaning it's not going to want to hit where you want it to hit when you're making a bad shot. Um, sounds like on this, on this bull, that that probably wasn't the case. You'd probably hit a rib if you if you got long, and then it went out the back. Um, you know, it it probably just clipped clipped a rib most likely, and just kind of spun a different direction. Yeah. Um, you know, especially if you didn't snap the arrow off. Um, Which I never found it, probably, so that never yeah didn't tell me anything. Yeah, I I mean. My guess would be that you made made a good shot and it just it just went in. And to be honest, like if you're not shooting over forty yards, um, you know, forgiveness isn't as big of an issue unless you get, you know, typewriter leg or you black out, you know, when you shoot. Um, if you can just sit there on target and make a clean shot every time, you know, then then yeah, you know, getting as detailed into tuning um that I do uh maybe doesn't make the best you know you don't have to do that um i still think you probably should but you know you probably don't have to um so that would be kind of you know my two cents you know if you're 40 and in like yeah would i tell everybody that they need to have a perfectly tuned bow with a perfectly tuned set of arrows and broadheads yeah because that just makes it you know a a better um a better shot, better position uh, for you. Um, especially yeah. when, you know, you get behind the riser of a bow and you got a big animal in front of you. Like, like I, my, my biggest thing is I, I already, I'm already thinking about eating that animal. I'm thinking about cutting that heart up and making tacos. And like, as soon as it walks in front of me. So it's like keeping my mind in the game is, is, you know, probably one of the harder things that I feel like I, I struggle with uh, from a hunting perspective. And so sure. I want my bow to make up for my deficit. So I want, I want, it, I want to be able to draw back, put my pen on the target without having to, to worry about bubbling hard and pull, you know, pull back on my release and the arrow goes where I wanted it to go, even when I maybe am not in the best possible state of mind i may be off balance standing on down uh, down trees you know all of those little things and that's where you know finding that perfect tune um to me plays plays up the, the best yeah um, and I, there's a lot of great resources out there if you don't have a local shop 
Um, there's a lot of great resources to help you um, figure out some uh, where, where it needs to be, you know, um, and, and what you need to do at home. Um, just be careful with uh, everything you read on the interwebs. <laughs> yeah. I do feel like my, my bows, because it's a big bow, that's why I shoot a Hoyt double XL. It's just, it's big. And because I'm big and, and it is showing plenty, lots of forgiveness with field points. I just suppose I don't shoot enough with broadheads to really know and learn my bow with it to see what, what's happening. So that will, I'm going to play around with this process a little bit. Um, might stop in my bow shop here and then, uh, just start shooting some more broadheads just to see, uh, uh what's going on. And so I can have, have that confidence. And another thing, if I don't have confidence, I mean, that's going to suck my, that's going to make me suck anyway. So, um, I I'm tired of having, having arrow flight issues. If that's what I have, <laughs> cause there's, maybe I'm just falling apart in front of animals, but I just, <laughs> I think that's what I do is I just, it's like, I'll, I'll shoot 80 to a hundred and I love doing it cause it's fun. Um, but not an animal. And I, it's like 40 and in, and all of a sudden that, that, what was easy at 80 is now almost impossible at 40. It doesn't make sense. Like something's got to, there's got to be some uh, disconnect there. I got to figure it out. So, uh, but yeah, I, I wanted to, wanted to kind of break this down a little bit. And this, this, uh, I think saves me quite a bit of research <laughs> and trying to figure out and diving through all of that, that, uh, opinion and, and stuff online that, that you don't know if you can trust it or not. And like you said before, it's like there's a, there's a hundred ways of doing this and everybody on the, on the line of the professional shooters are all going to shoot different and tune different. And, uh, I like this system. It seems very, very simple and I like to keep things simple. So if, uh, people are kind of cruising around the, uh, Breckenridge Frisch, Frisco area, which, many, many hunters will be this fall and they need a hand or, uh, if they, uh, um, are in the area and able to, to go get some tuning done. Cause I have, most of my listeners are from Colorado and want to stop by. How do they get a hold of you? Where do they find you? And where's the, tell us, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Easiest way is if you're on I-70, we're about two minutes off of I-70, uh, on the first Frisco exit. So most people are usually stopping into the Walmart, uh, pick up the last couple things or especially if you got your ass handed to you uh and you're coming back and you want to hunt uh in summit county on some of the uh, uh, public land uh, on your way back down to the airport or the front range uh we're, you really just jump off the uh, frisco exit uh pull into the walmart shopping center and we're right there um so we're really conveniently located we're literally two minutes off the highway um so uh, if they need to get a hold of us, we're um, uh, you can just uh, Google us, DNK Archery. Uh, you can give us a call. Um, right now, it's hit or miss if we pick up the phones, uh, but we will get back to you. Or send us a message uh, through Instagram, CK Archery, um, or on Facebook, CK Archery. Um, pretty, pretty easy to find us. Um, and yeah, if you're in the neighborhood and you need uh, last minute things, we were, we've got everything. We carry uh, Hoyt, PSE, Bowtech, Athens Archery, as far as our bow companies. We have uh, a ridiculous amount of arrows at this point from Black Eagle, Easton, and Victory. Um, so, uh, and then, 
yeah, we've got more broadheads than you know what to do with. So <laughs> we've got a large inventory. Plus, um, you know, if you forgot to buy backpacking food, uh, you can get, we've got a local, um, uh, freeze dried company here in Breckenridge that uh, makes some just ridiculously good backpacking food that won't <laughs> create a gut bomb. Huh. Uh, they're called Point of Separation. Highly recommend if you guys are in town and you need to pick up some backpacking food, come get that stuff instead of Mountain House, which will make uh, all of your hunting buddies hate you. Um, <laughs> um, stop in, uh, try some of that stuff out. But yeah, we're. We try to be uh, uh, available all the time. Uh, during hunting season, we'll have our normal hours. Um, I may not always be there, but I've got two bow techs that will be there as well. Uh, but uh, we're, we're pretty available to help anybody. Um, and um, right now, through the end of the month, if you guys are, uh, or through the end of August, if you're a Colorado Bow Hunters Association member, you get 10% off everything in the store. So, very cool. Um, yeah, so come on out. See if you guys need anything. We're here for you. That's kind of we, we don't we didn't want you to have to drive all the way down to Denver because you lost a release in the in the woods, which is kind of how this whole thing kind of started. So, well, perfect. Well, thanks so much for taking the time. I I know uh, uh, you guys running your shops are are busy, and uh, hopefully, um, hopefully. Uh, getting everybody set up and ready for the season and and not having to wait for wait for strings i know waiting for strings seems to be a challenge um but it's good to hear you got a good supply of just about everything and and stop in there and grab a release some broadheads and some dehydrated food so or freeze-dried food so well well cam i appreciate your time and and uh on uh this day i'll let you get back to your your morning yeah i appreciate it thanks for having me on you bet This is God's country.